Welcome to the Chasing Presence podcast, co-hosted by Santiago and Mike. This is a space where we share our insights for how to live a more spiritually aligned life. Join us on our journey to expand consciousness, live with purpose, and awaken to our true nature. Today we are going to be talking about the topic of enlightenment. Enlightenment is a word that has a lot of different connotations and different cultures and religions have kind of different definitions for enlightenment. And it is something that is talked about a lot in spiritual communities. Some people aspire to attain enlightenment. Some people think enlightenment is complete BS. There's a lot of different viewpoints and it is something that we wanted to dive into today with regards to what our view of enlightenment is, how we perceive and understand it personally, um, and our thoughts about how to um, potentially try to experience states of enlightenment. Um, And we're just going to have an open discourse about this topic. And I'll let Mike kind of kick it off since he decided he wanted to talk about this topic today. So it's like we all want to experience enlightenment because we want to experience love, joy, and gratitude. Because at the end of the day, why do you want to become successful? Why do you want fame? Why do you want freedom? Because you want to feel the feelings of love, joy, and gratitude. But at the same time, we we also need to understand that, you know, we can't necessarily stop feeling negative emotions. I guess to a certain point, we can alleviate them, but they're always going to be there. And it's and it's the idea that it's it's more about being okay, feeling them, and not trying to tell yourself a narrative as to why you shouldn't feel them. Um, and I feel like a lot of the idea of enlightenment is just coming to grips with the fact that you you're never going to stop necessarily feeling negative emotions, and that's okay. It's like why why do we have this belief that we need to only experience positive emotions. I I don't I don't understand why that arose in the first place. You know, I feel like we just need to connect more with reality and not necessarily attach to beliefs that if they don't if those beliefs aren't supported by external environment, then now we become so attached to those things that that attachment then causes us to feel negative emotions because we are comparing our external environment to how we feel. And at the end of the day, in my opinion, enlightenment is getting free of any belief that you need to achieve enlightenment. It's, it's kind of this idea of detachment, um, you know, which is why it's like, I mean, this, this goes with, you know, attracting a romantic partner. It's, it's the idea of the second you think that you need to have this person in your life, they will subconsciously, like, first of all, you're going to manifest that behavior into, you know, certain nonverbal cues and the way that you talk, re- regardless of if you realize it or not. Yeah, you can put on a facade, but most people who are worth having in your life are probably going to notice that on some level. And so we just need to become very, we don't need to do anything. Anyone can do whatever they want, but it's probably a good idea to become aware of the beliefs that you have and if you are clinging to them and if you are clinging clinging to them, if they are necessarily causing you suffering. Because the reason why I'm talking about beliefs, we can go on a whole tangent about beliefs. But I do think that a large part of achieving enlightenment is, yeah, there's nothing wrong with having beliefs. But the second you start, you know, defining yourself as those beliefs, and then whenever something presents a challenge to those beliefs in the external environment and you're so attached to them that immediately you start defending them, you start you know, becoming a little bit uncomfortable, I think that's when you're straying a little bit from enlightenment. What do you think about that? Yes, <clears throat> I agree with part of that. I think that the awareness of your beliefs and your thoughts and your emotions helps you to create the space between them and not identify with them. And in doing so lessens the degree of discomfort or suffering that you experience. Um, Because when you start to identify with certain beliefs or certain thought patterns, you become attached and any form of attachment 
typically will end up leading eventually at some point um, to some form of suffering or anxiety or disease within yourself. And so I think on the path towards enlightenment, <clears throat> it's important to have an awareness of those things without identifying with it. But I wouldn't say that that is the ultimate form of enlightenment. And I don't think that enlightenment is um, simply an understanding that we in life are going to experience negative states. I think that that is kind of a step towards it. Like you're starting to become more aware that um, we shouldn't be avoiding um, or trying to stuff down negative emotions because that can just perpetuate them and is only a short-term fix. But I do think that at the highest levels, um, like we talked about that monk last week who was able to self-immolate, um, I think when you really do achieve uh, the highest form of enlightenment, there is actually is an absence of suffering and pain because you no longer identify with the physical world and the three-dimensional dualistic world that we live in. And when you completely detach from that, all there is is oneness or a non-dual state. And I think when you're in that state, that is when all the suffering subsides and there is an absence of um, desires, aversions, and all these things that cause us to experience what we perceive as negative states. And I think that the the um, characterization or defining of enlightenment as something to be attained is a bit of a misnomer or a little bit misleading because I think that what enlightenment really is, quote unquote, attaining enlightenment really is, is really a shedding of layers. It's really a letting go and a surrendering of these different ego games that we've developed, these different attachments that we've formed, these perceptions which are illusionary or, uh, yeah, illusionary or illusory. And it's really letting go of all of these um, beliefs, perceptions, and conditionings that um, we've grown to um, cling to and identify with as we've gone through life. And as you're able to shed these layers of the ego and shed expectations and shed attachments and desires, there you, you begin to um, basically open yourself up to these more non-dual states and these states of expansion and and realizing that the self is an illusion and that the ego is simply a construct used to help us survive and that at the core of things we're all one and there's this abundant source in, of energy and at, at this point it starts to become very hard to define things. Um, you said before, like defining God is just like something that can't be done. I think with enlightenment, it's almost the same thing. We can try to use words to articulate it the best that we can, but af at a certain point, it, it gets to this this stage at which it's it's formless, it's 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 defineless. It's you can't use words to really capture it. But um, it's more so like a letting go of all these things that we've been conditioned with, and as that happens. Um, the suffering as well goes away and so it completely dissipates. And so you can achieve a state in which um, there is no more suffering, but it's a question of how long can you get into those states for. For me personally, I've never experienced any form of enlightenment through meditation, although it is possible, right, theoretically, as some people are able to do that. For me, it's been through the use of plant medicines, uh, especially the more potent ones like 5-MeO-DMT, which I've talked about before. But that's a temporary... That's a, that's a kind of almost like a, like a, not a pseudo, but it's like a kind of an artificial form of it because you're using something exogenous to achieve this very temporary state. Whereas I think the individuals who dedicate their lives towards meditation and mindfulness and awareness, they're eventually able to get there through self-discipline and they are able to remain in those states for much longer and not be reliant on something outside of themselves to get them there. And so that's kind of the difference. So I've had like tastes of what it's like, but it's not something that I've been able to sustain personally long-term. Okay. So then do you think that these monks, these, these people who practice self-discipline and meditation for their entire lives and that monk who basically burned himself to death without, you know, screaming or even showing any hint of suffering, do you think that they're always experiencing enlightenment? Do you think they've achieved that state 100% and they're just always, you know, connected to the oneness and never in the dualistic state? I think that if you are a human, 
you're going to at least have some stages where you experience duality. Cause like, obviously these monks, they have to get dressed when they wake up in the morning, they have to brush their teeth, they have to eat food. And so I, it's hard to know exactly like what's going on in their head, but I'm sure that they do experience duality just as this, as part of the human experience. I think that the only way to really be fully non-dual permanent 100% of the time would be to completely transcend this human life form. So that happens probably when you die. Um, they probably are able to achieve it while they're in these deep states of meditation where they essentially are able to, to leave their bodies during that state in terms of their consciousness, right? Um, but I think as they're going about their day-to-day lives, they are still experiencing duality. And so it's like, what what really is full enlightenment? I don't, I don't really know. Um, I don't know if it's possible to be 100% in that state all the time while living a human life, but I think that they can access that state much more readily and much more easily than the average person can. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's also like Paramahansa Yogananda was another famous monk who helped bring a lot of these ideas of Eastern medicine and spirituality over to the West. Um, there's a book called Autobiography of a Yogi that's about his life. There's also a documentary about him. I don't remember the name of it. But essentially, when he died, he he literally was giving some sort of speech somewhere. And he basically said that, and, and now at this point, I am going to ascend and leave my body. And at that moment, he died. Like He was able to essentially, I don't know if you would use the word predict or if he stimulated his own death, I don't know exactly what went on there, but pretty crazy. Like he was able to basically be like, all right, at this point, I am now going to, to return to source. And then he just left his body and died. So I don't really know what to make of that. What? I mean, unless you took like poison and then just like knew exactly when it was going to happen. Now, I mean, we, I guess we just don't know, but I think the, the problem with defining enlightenment is it's that's it right there you can't really define it it kind of just is in a certain way and it's like whenever i you know i told you i experienced cessation this one time in meditation um but the only way i could define it is when i came back to duality after the fact you know like now i'm back in time and i can say that i experienced that thing because now i in order to to communicate that I have to use time. I have to use language, but it's like when I was in that state, none of that really was running through my mind. Oh, I'm in cessation. I'm in enlightenment. It's like, you can't really define it because to be in that state is to be free of label is to be just like completely in the moment, which you can't really, you know, use language. I mean, here's the thing. Some people might say, Oh, but you know we're talking right now in the present moment so it's like and we we access the future and the past in the present moment but you're you're still by me saying a sentence you're comparing what i said at the beginning to what i said at the end and then basically using time to to stitch it together so you're not being fully present when you're when you're having a conversation in that sense which is why when you're in these states of enlightenment it's just you you're not even thinking you just you just are um and i think that's that's basically what it is when you start trying to say that oh i i am enlightened it's 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 like it's like someone who is enlightened saying i'm enlightened as soon as they say that they're you know that they're not you know because now it's like their ego's clinging to this idea that they're using in order to maybe provide some sort of uncertainty, but you're never going to hear a Zen master say that they're enlightened or that they are a Zen master. They just, they kind of just are, and they don't need to, you know, prove it to anyone. It's like, it's like saying, Oh, you know, I'm cool. Or like trying to prove to someone that you're a confident person with, but like once you try to start doing that, you're not that anymore. It's like the second, right. yeah. Because one of the things too is to say I am enlightened. You're saying you're using the word I, which entails an ego, which entails a sense of self. Whereas, in terms of the ultimate truth and the ultimate reality, we know that the I does not really exist. It's, it's an illusion. Like this, this idea of a permanent me 
that endures throughout the course of my life that is stable um it, it does not actually exist and so it's like this idea that we have that we're like the mini ceo of our lives located somewhere between our two eyes that endures and then parts of ourselves change over time but there seems to be this enduring sense of me or i that is going through life um that in and of itself is an illusion and the w- one way to think about it is like if you if you right now if, if, if myself right now at 27 had a conversation with my five-year-old self, those are essentially two completely different people, like two completely different egos, so to speak. The DNA might be the same or it is the same, but in, from an ego sense, those are two very, very different people. But there's this illusion that we have that there's an I or a me that exists and then everything else is transient. But one of the things you realize, even saying you realize is kind of tricky, but one of the things that can be experienced that, you know, is this falling away of this sense of I or me and this, this um, kind of unison or unicity of everything being all together as one. And that, that state is an enlightened state. So to ha- to say that I am enlightened is um, yeah, you're right. It, it doesn't make sense because there is no I that's enduring to be enlightened. There is just the enlightenment. There is just that, that experience in and of itself. There's no person or ego that's having that experience it is the experience itself. Yeah. And I, I agree with that. And then a, another, um, another idea that I, that I picked up from the dualistic unity pos- podcast, it's like absolutely my favorite podcast. Anyone listening to this should go listen to that podcast as well is the idea that, you know, there is a soul in this body right now. And that's great. You know, the problem is when you, when, is when you say, Oh, if my soul was born into Hitler's body, I would have done things differently. It's like, no. It, if I would have if I was born into your circumstance, I would be doing the exact same thing that you're doing right now. Just like if I was incarnated into Hitler or Stalin's body, nothing would change. It would be the exact same thing because it's just those exact same experiences and that exact same environment that brought them up to be the person that they are. It's like the idea that there's like some soul that is like slightly different from that body is an egoic idea. It's like, it's a separate idea. It's like, you know, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I could see that being the case for sure. I don't know how I feel about the idea of a soul. It's actually a very tricky at that point. Like people who believe in reincarnation, for example, like what is that? What's, what is reincarnating? You know, what is, what is reincarnating? Because the ego isn't reincarnating because the ego is, is, a manufactured um, thought form that exists within a specific individual, right? And everyone has an ego that identifies around their their life circumstances and their genetics and all that kind of stuff. So that's not being reincarnated because um, everyone has one and, and the ego in and of itself is the same. It just has different, takes on different costumes, so to speak. And then if we say, well, you know, that in and of itself is an illusion anyway, and it's only part of the human experience. It's not part of the ultimate reality. What we are is oneness. What we are is, you know, is this non-dual state, by the way. I know we didn't really define non-duality, but basically what that means is there's no separation between subject and object or self and other. So when you see separation in this 3D reality between, let's just say, yourself and your cell phone or yourself and another person in the room, what you realize in these non-dual states is that that is only relatively true. And this non-dual state is where everything is one. And there's everything and nothing. And it, again, becomes very hard to actually define. So you can look up non-duality and use that to try to understand it. But if, if that is the case, then what, it, what is it that's being reincarnated, right? I don't really know. Like, that's why I'm very on the fence when it comes to reincarnation. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I think that it's, it's kind of the idea that the, the ultimate awareness, because like, for example, the awareness that's in you, that's like watching your ego, the observer, you could say, is the same entity that is the observer in me. Because to say that we, because here's the thing, we are different. You can distinguish between you and I, because we have a string of experiences. We have ideas about ourselves. We have different beliefs. But then at the end of the day, the thing beyond that is just something that cannot has no concept. It's just is, and it's just an awareness. And that thing is the same within us and every single person. And literally like even in a tree, it's like that awareness just is. So it's like that one source 
is when someone says reincarnate, and this is just what I believe in terms of, you know, um, like unity just in general, is that it's just that one awareness that is the same in every single person going into a new body and it's just living a completely new life. But that, that awareness at the end of the day is just the same everywhere. And so like when a new human is born, yeah, they're going to have different experiences. Yeah. They're going to have, uh, you know, like their own ideas on themselves, but at the end of the day, the thing underlying it is in all of us, which is why me getting born into any other human, it's like, I'm, my soul is not different. Like each reincarnation is the reincarnation of the same awareness that pervades the entire universe. Yeah, I think that's probably the case. I think this idea that I am reincarnating into some other life form is the kind of like the the misconception. Like, oh, there's a part of Santiago. There's a part of something inside of me that's being reincarnated into another person. So I, a part of me is being carried on. Well, yes, a part of me is being carried on, but it's the same part of me that's in every single other person. Yep. So I just, th that kind of, I mean, he here's the problem. It's uncomfortable to think like that because now we're not this unique entity, which is what our ego wants. It wants to identify as some unique entity that is separate from everything else. But when you come down, when it comes down to reality, which is free of label, which is free of concept, you, you it's just, it's, it's hard to think like that. that. That's why personally, it's like, I'm really trying to question all of my beliefs and why they're there in the first place. Because it's just another way of identifying me as a separate entity from someone else. But like I was saying before, it's like, you know, there are things that you do that do make you feel better in this body, like exercise, you know, even, you know, meditation in and of itself. If you just do it because it makes you feel good, but there's nothing else. But here, here's the problem, because then people can say, oh, I take drugs because I, I feel good in the moment. Yeah, but it's a it's a little bit different because I'm first I'm ch I'm choosing to experience adversity so then I can feel better as a being in this body so then I have more love to give to everyone so that I can be more present. So, but then I feel like somebody might say, "Oh, now you're trying to be more present. Now you're trying to be more aware. Now you're being attached to trying to achieve this thing." That's when it starts to get tricky. Yeah, I don't know. It's it is very difficult to um like spiritual development. We were talking before the recording like some people develop spiritual egos. It's very much along those lines. Like now I am identifying as a person who is trying to attain enlightenment or I am someone who values the importance of being present. And look, there's nothing wrong with um with having an ego and with um experiencing as part of this human form differentiation between yourself and others and there's nothing wrong with trying to um, improve yourself and to try to achieve certain things in certain states so we're not saying that you shouldn't be doing these things it's more so that there's this seeming paradox between being enlightened and being present and the path one takes to get there because in trying to attain enlightenment or trying to be more present sometimes it can if you if you are so identified with that purpose or with that objective it can actually prevent you from being that and so it's a matter of balancing out the the behaviors and disciplines for example meditation being one of the primary ones that one can use to try to do these things there's others as well breath work mindfulness all these other things a balance between practicing those things, but not being too attached to the outcome. And so that's the challenge because you, obviously you're doing them for a reason. Like there is some outcome dependence involved. Otherwise you wouldn't be doing it. But at the same time, if you become too outcome dependent, then um, the thoughts and the emotions and the clinging and the aversion and all that kind of stuff is going to actually prevent you from doing it. And so I think that's why so many people, myself included, um, experience roadblocks, experience um, resistance, internal resistance, and experience struggles on this path of spiritual development. Yeah, because, man, here's the thing. I I, I think it, it would be false to say that any you know enlightened teacher doesn't want to experience gratitude, doesn't want to experience peace. 
So in some sense, we kind of have to go like you and me both went through some trials and tribulations where we were very identified to our own ego. And I honestly, I, I, I'm not sure about like, you know, some of the monks who were just raised in a monastery and just like had an extremely strong self-awareness and don't know what it feels like to have a, like a super strong ego. But I feel like it's almost important to be even more appreciative when you're, you know, becoming this being that's, that's more connected to nature, that's even more self-aware to have gone through that state, you know, the, the quote that you always um, cite is a tree must grow its roots down to hell before it can grow up to heaven. I mean, you know, I don't know. I I'm super interested in, you know, palm trees. It's my favorite type of tree. I absolutely love them. And it's amazing how they work because they can survive hurricanes. Their roots go so deep into the ground and they grow up so high, you know, it's like if the roots didn't do that, you know, that's just the way it goes. So I don't know, because I know there are monks that just have not experienced that ego. And it's like, can you say that maybe because they haven't, that they're not able to reach a higher level of enlightenment than they otherwise could? No, I don't think that it prevents monks and people who have lived a monastic lifestyle from a very young age from attaining higher states. I That quote is semi-true like i believe that it that it is true in the sense that oftentimes people who go through extreme hardships and are able to come out of it typically have more of a potential to awaken eckhart tolle talks about that in his book as well like a lot of people who awaken they went through some sort of um, deep trauma and hardship depression severe anxiety what ptsd whatever it is and then it creates this um this environment in which their soul can now ascend into higher states of consciousness and so in that sense, it is true, but there's a couple things here. One, there are some people who go into dark states who never come out of it. Some people end up committing suicide. Some people are addicted to oh, painkillers for the rest of their life. Some people are, you know, continue to identify with a victim mindset until the time that they die. So not everyone is able to come out of those dark states. So sometimes they stay down there, which is not good. The other thing is that I don't believe that that it, the quote is a great idea in the sense of what I just talked about, but I don't think it's necessary necessarily. I think that there are some individuals who are able to attain those those expanded states without the hardship. I just think it's very rare. Like there was this one kid who um, was the son of of someone who was in you know some sort of monk or whatever, and he essentially renounced the world renounced the world when he was eight years old. I don't remember the specific uh, like origins of this story, but uh, he when he turned eight years old, he he basically said, "I'm renouncing the world. I'm going to move into like I don't know what he did." But he essentially, at this very young age, just had this epiphany that like the world, like the Matrix, was all of this is like this Matrix, and it's all there's all this corruption, there's these terrible ways of living, and he just decided to like renounce the world. And I think with these with these individuals who live in um, like, let's just say you're born into, well, actually, I don't think monks can even have kids. I don't even know how you would start this lifestyle. I just don't have enough knowledge when it comes to this, but let's just say you were born into like, a a environment where you basically, all you really did was meditate all day and you lived in some remote part of the world. I don't think that the lack of, um, of like falling into this illusion of separateness and hardship and depression and anxiety would prevent them from attaining those higher states. I think that they would probably just have a a, um, a pathway to get there, maybe even more efficiently. I think that for the average person living a normal life, it becomes more difficult to not have the hardship because then you're just bought into like the materialistic society. You're just kind of going through as what we what we've talked about before, like non playable characters. You're just bought into. If you're born in the U.S., for example, you're just bought into capitalism and trying to acquire things and you're going to very much be conditioned by, you know, the family you were raised in and the friendships that you develop over the course of these years. And most people aren't on a spiritual path. So you're just going to live this very um, dualistic, materialistic lifestyle, and you're not going to have the awareness to really expand. And so there's no impetus for you to really grow and awaken when you're living that life. But I think if you're born into a, it doesn't even have to be a, 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 like a monastery or like a, an environment where you're around monks. It could even just be like a family 
that is already very much spiritually attuned and on a path of awakening. And through that, they're already going to raise you with these concepts and these beliefs and and they're going to be more conscious in how they teach you things. And I think that's going to just, you're naturally going to be conditioned to already be on this path without, without having to go through the hardship. Yeah. The, the one thought I, that I had was maybe monks should be having more children, you know, like maybe, maybe instead of just being self-aware beings, which in and of itself helps humanity, just like having like certain humans that, you know, are extremely connected with unity is probably a good thing. Um, the, the other thought I had was, do monks necessarily have beliefs or are they literally just in the present moment and just being extremely self-aware, which in my opinion is completely free of belief? I think it probably depends on the sect of their religion or their spiritual community like there's it's like monks is, is a very general broad term like there are different monks from different parts of the world who have different belief systems and different practices so it's very hard for us to just generalize so i think it depends on like their school of training and thought and different schools are going to have different teachings and different beliefs but like i don't like monks we tend to people who are who are on spiritual paths and even people who aren't tend to almost put them on this pedestal of like, oh, these are the like like reincarnations of the Buddha and they have they have all the answers. I think that there are probably a lot of monks who struggle with um, limiting beliefs and struggle with tempering their desires. I mean, you think about a monk, like monk mode is, is they have to practice celibacy, right? I'm sure that a lot of them struggle with that to some degree. I don't think they all just go on this path and it's just an easy thing for them to do I think there are, there are monks that still are on this path of trying to uh, increase their self-awareness, of trying to be rigorous in self-reflection and in, um, in looking at their beliefs honestly and reassessing them and dealing with the temptations and the desires um, of their physical body, right? I don't think that they've all just overcome it. I think a lot of them are on a path of trying to do that. And then at the, at the highest levels of of mass like i guess you would call them master monks right the people who are, are really at the highest level then yeah at that point they've probably you know got that all sorted out so to speak and they've mastered their body and their mind but i don't think i think that's probably a small percentage of the total monk population that exists yeah the, the other thing that i've i've been wrestling with as an idea lately is that you know some would say and i know the B buddha and jesus and usually a lot of the prophets did not just stay away. I mean, you know, they, they definitely lived a very ascetic life and, you know, explored their own spirituality and their connection to God, reality, whatever you want to call it. But at the end of the day, they all came back to society to try to help people, you know, but why is that necessary? Like, here's the thing. I think, you know, maybe connecting to your community and helping other people is, is going to help you experience more gratitude in, in a certain way. And obviously it feels great. A lot of people say it's like probably one of the most satisfying things you can do is to help another person and receive their gratitude. But at the end of the day, it's like, if a lot of people, a lot of people say, I know, I know Alan Watts, you know, agreed that, you know, the meaning of life is simply to be alive and it's like, it's the idea that if we are trying to necessarily move society in a certain way is you know, when, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, okay, let's say our society survives whatever, you know, horrible things that we're doing to ourselves um, and the planet. I mean, the planet's going to be fine. You know, if, if we might not outlive what we do, but the planet definitely will, you know, the earth is a, is one of the strongest just I, I think beings, you know, just like us, you know, the earth is a very strong being. It's probably one of the strongest thing, one of the strongest things in the universe, just in general. I mean, there's probably other earths out there, but it's like, okay, let's say that, you know, we, we survive what we're doing. We become awakened as, you know, a collective consciousness. And then we go on to, you know, may, maybe, you know, stay on the earth, but then we continue to use technology in a very healthy way and not, you know, identify with it too much, but use it as a way to continue to awaken 
And then, you know, we, we go off to other planets. We kind of like, you know, form colonies. We do the same thing. We just stay awakened. At some point, though, at some point, there, you know, we're most likely going to die off because, you know, with, with the way that scientists say that the universe is going, um, eventually, you know, all energy is going to dissipate and it's just going to be, you know, in a certain sense into, it's called heat death, where all the stars all burn out and the universe is just black. Okay. So regardless of if we die, right. And this, this is kind of like a nihilistic form, but I feel like we need to still have these conversations and like understand them. It's like, so even if we die as a species in the next a thousand years, or we go on to live millions, billions of years, what's the difference? I guess someone could say that, oh, you know, there's higher dimensions that we might have access to that we might get to continue going on. But that in and of, that in and of itself, oh, we the, the human species needs to continue. Why, why does it need to continue? Like, why, why does it need to be anything different than what just is right now? Why do we need to try to continue to, to be awakened? Why can't we just be awakened and then whatever happens, happens? Why are we trying to necessarily make things go a certain direction as a species. Yeah. I don't think humans um, need to continue existing. That's just a human idea that we've created from our egos that the human race needs to continue populating itself. That's there's obviously evolutionary biology involved with their impetus to procreate. Um, There's the ego involved with like just thinking that the human beings are the greatest thing to ever exist and that we need to continue living as long as possible, even though time is an illusion if humans die off, consciousness will still be there. Consciousness exists within and without human beings. Consciousness just is. It's, it's, there's, it's not bound by time or space or form. And so that will always be there. And so God will always be there. Um, but that being said, that doesn't mean that we don't have a, I'll use the word obligation. You know, that might not be the best word. We have an obligation to be stewards of our communities, our physical bodies, the people we come into contact with, and the environment at large, I think that there still is a a moral compass involved um, as part of this experience. That we have a we have um, the capability of doing both good and evil, right? Of contributing in positive ways or detracting from that. And I do believe in karma. I do believe that what comes around goes around. At some point, at some point in time, um, that's the case. And so I just, I think that there's a value in kindness and there's a value in doing good. And the, the Greeks use the word like the daemon, which is basically um, your calling or this obsession that kind of is within you to, to do a certain things in life. And so certain people are going to have a calling to like contribute to society in ways that they find meaningful. And look, I don't know, like in terms of if humans do die off and none of it matters, I don't really have the answers to that. That's where one of the good ideas, I think, in in Christianity is this idea of the mystery. Like we really don't know what the purpose is. Is there a greater purpose? Is there all of this stuff going on? At that point, it's kind of beyond, beyond human comprehension. But I think that as human beings, we we have this awareness as part of the spiritual awakening that we have the ability to do, to do to do good or do to to do harm to other people and to society and i think that someone who is conscious and aware and on the path of awakening for the most part is going to want to do things that are good and i think through that good um there is that that good will spread and it has a positive impact and it makes us feel better and and so that is ultimately the choice that you have to make in life is are you going to take this nihilistic approach and think that oh, none of this matters. Um, we're all going to die eventually anyway. And so I'm just going to let my health go to shit. I'm going to treat people poorly. Or am I going to make the most out of my time here and try to have a good impact on the world? And for me, I choose the latter. I choose to try to, to do good, to try to be kind. I'm far from perfect, but it is a work in progress. And maybe there is, like you mentioned earlier, maybe there are these um, heightened states or these elevated states that exists beyond this physical universe that we're aware of. And maybe we do have something in there that is a soul or a spirit that does 
ascend to this this other state of reality that exists beyond this. We just don't know. Like at that point, the human mind is too limited to really comprehend what's going on. But I, I, I just make the conscious choice to do good because it's, to me, I believe that even though God is oneness and non-duality, there probably is some sort of, I believe that that there is this energy of love that does kind of commingle and um, transpires and that um, permeates the universe as well. I don't think that it's ambivalent and that it is just um, indifferent to energies of light and dark and good and evil, even if, if those things are dualistic. I think that there is this, I don't want to use the word positive. Again, language becomes very difficult, but I do believe that there is this good intention or energy, energy of love, whatever you want to call it, that also makes up the universe. And that if you are able to pour yourself into that, it will expand and ultimately um, contribute to this greater incomprehensible purpose that exists within the world. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was kind of just saying that to play devil's advocate because I feel like you kind of have to, you know, in order to understand why your belief is good, you really need to understand the best argument against it, you know? And for me, it's just like, yeah, like if you look at things at reality and, you know, we, we can tell how reality used to be by using telescopes and we can tell how it's going to be using science. That's fine. And you, yeah, you can just adopt the nihilistic mindset, but why not just enjoy being alive? You know, it's just like, why not? It's, it's clearly the better choice. It makes you, it makes your body feel better. So why not do the things that just naturally make you feel better? Like it's because you are alive. Why would you just like, you know, sink into a state that identifies with the fact that, you know, the universe is meaningless. But here's the thing. We don't know if the universe is meaningless or not. We, we can say that, you know, it's going to eventually lead into a heat death and it started at the Big Bang. That's fine. But it's just like we, we don't know. Like, hey, you know, there could be some higher realm where spirits ascend to. Um, I'm not going to say that, you know, that's not the case because we, we see reality. Though if, if we break down our, all of our beliefs, we see reality the way that it is. And, and the way that it is, is just, I guess the way that we experience it here and now. And like, there's, there, there's no saying, Oh, like this, this is how it is. This is how it could be. You could believe those things, but it just takes away from your experience right here and now. And like what's in front of you by just clinging to something that's saying, Oh, I think this is how it is. But it's just not, that's just not how it is. You're just like, you're forming a concept in your head that is, that is based on, it's like, you know, yeah, faith is good to have, but if you don't know, then why are you clinging to a belief that is kind of implying that you do in a certain way? It's, it's, it's like, yeah, you're saying you don't know and like, oh, it would be cool if a higher power existed. And like, you know, that, that yeah, I, I would say that, in general, um, having the universe being meaningful rather than meaningless would be better. I, I, I'm not saying that I disagree with that, but you just don't know. So it's like, why would you, why would you just like say, oh, it would be cool if it was like this. So I'm just going to believe that it's like this instead of like first getting the experience and then saying, okay, like this is reality. I can, I can identify with reality. Um, but it's like, again, it's tricky because some would argue that having a belief system is a, is a way for the masses at large to not, to not devolve into nihilism because like, you know, having a belief system is good, but then, you know, if you have too strong of a belief system, it might be a, a lot more difficult to enter an enlightened state, which some might say is the ultimate goal of being human. But who's to say that that, because that in itself is a concept that every human being should experience enlightenment. That is a concept. That's just an idea. That's a belief. And that in and of itself is going against what enlightenment is, which is just being here and now free of label and understanding that every single person's awareness, regardless of what ego or beliefs they cling on to, is ultimately the same. Yeah, I don't think that's the goal of every... Um, or the purpose of every human to uh, 
to be enlightened or even uh, a step before that to awaken. Otherwise, that would be the case. Like everything that is, is exactly the way it's supposed to be. And not everyone goes on a path of awakening. Not everyone experiences enlightenment. And so not everyone is meant to do that because if they were, then it would be that way. Everything that's happening is exactly the way it's supposed to be. It's this concept of acceptance. When it comes to beliefs, yeah, I, I think it's bad to blindly believe in things without any reference points or experiences because in that case, you're just sheeplessly and mindlessly following the masses or what you've been conditioned to believe in. I think you should question things and then based on some experiences that you have and then you can form certain beliefs around that, but always be open-minded to changing your beliefs and, and reassessing them as necessary. We do need some frameworks as humans to live our lives morally and justly. Otherwise, we're just going to devolve into chaos and not have any boundaries and not have any um, consideration for other people. And so there does need to be frameworks and structures and moral compasses involved. And so that is one of the positive sides that that organized religion can offer. The problem is when it becomes too dogmatic and you just kind of follow everything that it tells you without um, being critical in analyzing why it is you're doing what you're doing. And so there's this combination of the frameworks and guidelines that society sets out for us and then using your own individual experience to um, to basically change what needs to be changed and to retain what needs to be retained. And so obviously at scale, that, that can cause issues. We see that, that not a lot of people, we, we can't just rely, you know, if we're talking about society at large, um, we can't reliably um, expect people to just live good lives and to do good um, by using their own, um, their own, intuition and their own self-reflection and um you know just the resources and education that that's provided to them because ultimately um not everyone is going to be accountable and not everyone is going to um make decisions that are beneficial to others and even for themselves and so that's where it becomes kind of an issue but for me as an individual for my life i have found that i am able to kind of take in information that's given to me and then reassess it and then try to live, you know, a better life based on that without having to conform to one way of thought or one, you know, organization's beliefs or one group of people's beliefs and being able to kind of come up with a, come up with a structure and routine for my life that uh, is better able to serve both myself and others without having to just simply and mindlessly conform to something. So I think that's really important. And one of the the things that I think, to kind of um, wrap this up, that's important also to understand is that when it comes to enlightenment, I think one of the biggest, really what enlightenment is, is, is getting rid of illusion, getting rid of the illusion of separateness of others, um, of, of what is called a Mara, which is like this, this temptation and, and this viewing of, of things being separate. And, and basically what I'm trying to get at is that, you know, a big thing that happens on this path in life is that we begin to judge other people. And that judgment is due to this illusion that we are separate. And so it's easy to view other people based on their physical appearance, based on the ego structures that they come up with and how your life is different from theirs. And therefore you judge them as being worse or, or bad. It kind of goes back to like you talking about Hitler and how Hitler could have only been him and anyone else who lived his exact life would be that way. And so when it comes down to is really what's really important to apply, if you're going to take anything away from this podcast that went in all sorts of different directions, it's to have compassion for other people and to understand that underneath all those layers that seem very real, like it's, when you look at someone who's very different from you, it seems very real. There's this very strong illusion that they're very different from you. They have different beliefs. They have different a different physical appearance, they have different, you know, just come from a different culture, whatever it might be, they live their life very differently. And so we focus, we tend to focus when we're not on this path of when we're not in an enlightened state, we tend to focus on these differences. And one of the things that happens when you come closer to a state of enlightenment is instead of recognizing and focusing on the differences, you focus on the things that are the same. And the thing that's the same within us, like the, the core essence that's within every person is the same. The core essence within myself is the same 
core essence within you. And so focusing on that sameness and focusing on our shared humanity is ultimately going to allow us to be more compassionate, patient, and kind to other people. And when you do that, that energy will spread and, and multiply into the universe and we will achieve these states of gratitude, abundance, love, and joy. The last thing I'm going to say regarding enlightenment is I'm going to read a, uh, a quote by Immanuel Kant, and then I'm going to read a story, a Zen story. So from Kant, enlightenment is a man's emergence from his self-imposed nonage. And nonage is the inability to use one's own understanding without another's guidance. This nonage is self-imposed if its cause lies not in lack of understanding, but in indecision and lack of courage to use one's own mind without another's guidance. Have the courage to use your own understanding is therefore the motto of enlightenment. So it's the idea that, you know, you, you do have this, you know, you do have gut feelings, you do have intuitions. And we, we've talked about why you should follow your intuition and not your ego. Um, but that's kind of like the motto of enlightenment is, you know, at the end of the day, you, you can do it. You can survive. You can, you can use your own understanding, even though it's not, not fully developed yet. So that, that I, I really liked that quote. And the last thing I'm going to read is a Zen story. It's called a flag flapping in the breeze. Once two Zen monks were walking down the road. It was a breezy day. One of them said to the other, look, the flag is flapping in the breeze. The second monk replied, no, that is foolish. The breeze is flapping the flag. And so they spent an exciting quarter hour. The flag is flapping. The breeze is flapping. The flag is flapping. The breeze is flapping. As the debate was heating up, the Zen master appeared on the road. They ran to him. Zen Master Roshi, please settle our dispute. I say the flag is flapping in the breeze. He says the breeze is flapping the flag. Which one of us is right? The master looked at them with a penetrating eye. You are both wrong, he said. Your minds are flapping. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Chasing Presence podcast. If you enjoyed it, Please spread the word by telling your family and friends and by sharing it on social media. You can also show us your support by leaving a review. Also, if you'd like to get in touch with us, our contact information is in the show notes. Please send us a message as we'd love to hear from you and get your feedback. As always, thanks again for listening. Stay present and have a great day.